The title today is The Four T's of Biblical Communication. The Four T's of Biblical Communication. Now, communication has got to be one of the hardest things in life, especially when it comes to when we start having disagreements with someone. This is true whether you're at home, whether you're at school, whether you're at work, whether you're amongst friends, whether you're amongst enemies. It is most certainly true in the church body. Most of you had to have had to communicate with someone else in this body at some point in time. Some of those communications, we've had disagreements. There has been contention, there has been misunderstandings, there has been hurts. That is communication with humans. That happens. It is how we communicate with each other in those situations that can tear down a church or build up an unbreakable bond within that church with how we communicate in those hard times. Because the fact is, the hard times do come. There are things that we need to warn each other about. There are things that we have to communicate with each other about that may not be comfortable. But we must communicate those things. Now there are natural inclinations we have in communication as humans, uh, but we have spiritual qualities as blood-bought children of God made in His image to express ourselves. And we express ourselves through our feelings, through our emotions, and through our words. The hard part is doing that expressing in a biblical way. It's very easy to express ourselves in our words, in our emotions, in a self-centered way. But to do it in a biblical, godly way, we have to practice. We have to train ourselves in it. We have to be principled in it. On the other side, sometimes we tend to forget that the other party also is just like you and I. The one we have to go talk to is just like you and I. They are created in God's image. He has given them the ability to think, to have emotions, to speak. Our sin nature starts to quickly kick into gear when the other party begins to express what they think. We automatically automatically start becoming suspicious of their intents, suspicious of their motives. We start to turn them off even before they have said what they have to say so that we can go ahead and think about what we need to say back to them. So you see, we become at a standstill at this point. This person is talking, while this person is not listening and thinking about what they're talking. And as soon as they're done, it goes vice versa, back and forth and back and forth. And no one is truly listening to the other. They're not communicating biblically. Communication is something that we all do as humans. God's Word is pretty straightforward, though, in guiding us through how to communicate through this maze of emotions and personalities and character traits so that we can communicate in a way that honors Him in this church, in your home, in your marriage, at work, wherever it may be. 
When we do not follow, though, His guiding hand and His teaching on communication, that's when we start to experience hardships in marriage, in friendships, in church unity, in our community. Simple miscommunications, wrong timing, an unkind word, an untruthful word in what you say. Those are the things that destroy the marriages and the homes and the churches. So let's look to God's Word to see these four biblical guidelines for communication, the four T's of biblical communication. The four of them are to be truthful. Be truthful. The second is to be timely. Be timely. The third is to be thoughtful. Be thoughtful in what you say. And the fourth and hardest is to be tender in how you say it. So we'll go with these one at a time. Number one, truthful. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25 says, Therefore putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Now some have no problem with this at all. They just say it like it is, which isn't the meaning here in this scripture. Someone else may struggle a great deal with this one. They have a a good deal of discomfort when any kind of confrontation seems to be coming. They avoid confrontational conversations. It's easier to just maintain their comfort by concealing things, by not telling the whole truth, covering up their true feelings, and pushing away what they know they ought to say. But then some may like to tell the truth, but fill it with a bit of exaggerations or fabricating and building untruth on the truth. So just saying it like it is, or just avoiding it altogether, or adding some extra to the truth, all three forms of communication that can harm both yourself and the other party who you're trying to communicate with. Those three forms are easy forms to do because they are ways of communicating of the world. But this letter of Ephesians is not written to the world. The very first verse says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. That is you and I, those who are in Christ Jesus. We are told in chapter 4 verse 22 to put off the former conversations of the old man. The old man, the natural man, the sinful man communicates in a certain way. They talk in a certain way and most of that time all of their communication is self-focused. What is best for me in this situation? Not what's best for the other party or What's best for them may be to completely avoid the conversation at all. Or what's best for them may be to add and embellish a little bit. But we're told to put off the former conversations, the lifestyle, the way of talking, the way of acting, the way of being. We're to put off the old man. Now, verses 17 through 19 tell us what that is. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God 
because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. It all goes back to self-centered lifestyles. When, it, when you're walking as the old way of the Gentiles were walking. You see, our truthfulness isn't just about saying what is true. It's important that we say what is true, but our truthfulness is not solely focused on saying what is true. It's having a new mindset which frames how and why we say what is true. We have to have a new mindset as to why we're speaking truth. We need a new mindset as to how we're going about saying that truth. We're to put on the new man and be renewed in our minds, as verses 23 and 24 tell us. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We have taken off our old conversation, and our new conversation is to be what? Like Christ. Peter says, Be ye holy as I am holy, as the Scripture says. We're to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ in all of our ways, all of our thoughts, all of our actions, in our dealings with one another. So we have to have a new mindset that frames how we say this truth. Now, In the times that uh, the apostle was writing this letter to the Ephesians, there was many philosophers in that day, and there was many philosophers in that area. Now here's just a few of the philosophies of that world at that exact time that they were writing. And this is why he's having to encourage them. Speak the truth. Be truthful in your dealings and in what you say. So the first one is by someone named Menander. A lie is better than a hurtful truth. Well, that sounds okay on the surface. A man named Proclus said, Good is better than truth. Darius says, When telling a lie to be profitable, let it be told. Plato, He may lie who knows how to do it in a suitable time. And Maximus Tyrus, there is nothing decorous in truth, but when it is profitable. Yea, sometimes truth is hurtful, and lying is profitable to men. Now this is what the church had been ingrained with before Christ had come into them. This is the old man. This is the old man's way of thinking. With all of these things, what are they doing? They were avoiding getting to the point. They're avoiding what that conflict may have been about. Well, I don't want to hurt their feelings, so I'm just going to lie. Because I'd rather them be happy with me than to tell them the truth. Well, if it's convenient at this time, and you can get away with it, and no one is harmed, then go ahead and tell that lie. That's what the philosophy of the day was. But Paul is saying, you are blood-bought Christians. He's writing to the saints in Jesus Christ. And he's saying, you've put off the old man. You've put on the new man. And the new man has a new way of thinking. A new way of speaking, a new way of acting, and a new way of looking at truth. 
These people were brought up in such a loose system of morality. These Gentiles needed apostolic direction. They needed it to guide them away from the culture that was surrounding them into what was true. To just simply put away lying. To speak truth. Let lying never come near you, church at Ephesus. Let truth be ever present with you. So truth must be in our conversations, but in this new mindset must be flavored with love when we're telling that truth. Remember, we're talking about communication here, whether there may be a conflict, a correction, and a, or, or, or anything, but the goal is an attempt at restoration. That is your goal in these communications. Now, I'm not talking about a friend sitting here with a friend and there's no problem and they're just having a conversation. We're talking about when there is disagreement, when there's conflict, when there's discord. The goal of that communication, brothers and sisters, is not for you to go to your dear brother and sister in Christ and put them in their place. Your goal is to restore your fellowship in Christ because you are a body, you are a part of a fitted together jointly body of Jesus Christ. And when there is discord, that body hurts, that body limps along. Your goal in all of this communication, in all four of these T's, is simply this, restoration of godly fellowship. Maybe your intention in not telling the truth to the other party is good because... You really don't want to hurt their feelings. And nobody wants to hurt someone else's feelings. If you do, we have another issue there we can talk about later. We don't want to make an enemy or even make a relationship that is already teetering or breaking go from bad to worse. Well, then a profitable lie is better than a hurtful truth. Would be applicable there, right? I don't want it to just break. Maybe you don't want to appear vulnerable by opening up yourself to the other By speaking the truth, for example, how they have hurt you. I don't want to admit that I've been affected by someone else's words. I don't want to admit that their actions hurt my feelings. I need to seem strong and stoic here in this situation. But what happens when you seem strong and stoic in the face of when a brother or sister has hurt you? Bitterness starts to creep in. Because you're not strong enough or stoic enough to keep that at bay. Well, what about exaggerating the truth or adding fabrication to, sh- to it so it shows, uh, it shows a better story so it doesn't hurt their feelings? Well, all we're showing there is an immaturity in that you want to appear to be addressing the truth, but you feel the need to add to the story for whatever reason it may be because you don't think the truth is the right thing to tell them. Well, all of those situations are not godly communication. And yet we see the command to speak truthfully to one another. Well, this being truthful to one another is something we are all required to grow in, to learn in, to practice, to make a part of who you are as a Christian. God is the God of truth. His work in His world is based on truth. Truth. And this verse 25 references the Old Testament scriptures of Zechariah. Let's read 25 again. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Well, in the prophet 
uh, Zechariah, God is telling Zechariah of the new Jerusalem and the new holy city that will be in the future. And God tells the prophet that he is zealous towards his people, that he will return to them and he will dwell with them. Uh, In verse 3 he says, Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion. I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth. The mountain of the Lord's of hosts, the holy mountain. And then in verse 16 and 17, this is where Ephesians 4.25 is referenced. These are the things you shall do. Speak each man truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. And do not, not love a false oath. For all these things I hate, saith the Lord. God is dwelling with you right now. In the presence of His Holy Spirit, He is dwelling with you right now. In your souls. In all of the redeemed saints, He dwells within you. And in this church, He dwells with us in this body. And God is that God of truth. Verse 25 says, We are members of... We are members one of another. Consider yourselves as that one body which Jesus Christ is our head. And just as my right hand would not try to trick my left hand, so we have to deal honestly and truthfully with each other because we are members of one another. And there are times that sometimes things should be overlooked. Yes. If there is an offense that has been done to you and you can overlook it and you have truly forgiven in your heart, forgive and overlook. But when you see someone being consumed by sin or you see someone near the flames of sin, rescue them, warn them, speak truth to them. If the way that someone is speaking to you or acting towards you is affecting your daily life, the way that you go about your daily life, if it's causing you concern, if it's causing you some kind of pain, hurt, heartache, then it's time to address it. It's time to speak truth to that brother or sister. And you need to do it now before the bitterness takes root. And that takes us to our next point. Timely. Be timely. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, Be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Now there can be a right anger. There is a right kind of anger, depending on the motive and the purpose. There's a righteous indignation toward evil. An anger that hates injustice, immorality, ungodliness, etc. Things that are opposed to God, that is a righteous anger. And if this anger is based on a love of God and for His glory, it can be right. But, listen closely to this. Even a righteous anger can quickly turn to bitterness if it is not quickly addressed, if it is left to fester. There is a time to be angry with a righteous anger, but do not sit on it. Do not hold it in 
internally and walk around with it for days upon days before it turns itself into bitterness and you are now in sin. Now when it is time to speak truth to someone, we don't want to let it sit and fester. Don't let it wait until you explode. I thought of this example yesterday and it seemed perfect for this explosion thing. Imagine you're a watermelon. Now if you've ever done the watermelon and the band-aid thing, I mean not band-aids, that wouldn't work. Watermelon and a rubber band, you'd know where we're going with this. You're a watermelon. And every hurtful thing or annoying thing or something that just bothers you or something that is hateful is a rubber band. And every day somebody comes by and they put that rubber band of a a nasty look around you. You've got one rubber band on you. It's not that big of a deal. I'm I'm not, you know what? It's not worth it. I'm not going to deal with it. Well, then the next day someone comes along and says a hateful word and there goes another rubber band. You know, I'm not going to deal with it. It's just simply not worth it. It's not bothering me. Day after day, rubber band after rubber band after rubber band is added to this watermelon till all of a sudden you get to the point to where you feel the rubber bands squeezing in so tightly on you. You feel that you're about to explode and then you go to start trying to take those rubber bands off but you realize they're intertwined together. They're so tight now that you can't get them and in fact, You don't even remember who put which band-aid on. You just know you've got a lot of anger. You've got a lot of hate. You've got a lot of hateful looks. You've got a lot of sadness. And you can't even remember who did it to you. And then comes along one more rubber band. And they put it around you. And boom! that That watermelon explodes from the force of that last rubber band. Boom! It explodes. If you haven't done that watermelon trick with rubber bands, go do it under the supervision of your parents or if you're adults, just go have some fun with it. It's really cool to see. But it gives us a very good picture of what is happening to us when we don't address the rubber bands as they're placed on. Eventually, you lose sight of who put the rubber band on. And who put the blue one on, who put the red one on, and who put the green one on. And you know what you are? You're mad at everybody. You're angry at the world. I don't know if you did anything to me or not, but you probably did. And if you didn't, you're probably about to, so I already don't like you. That's what happens when we don't start taking those rubber bands off as they're put on. And we start addressing those rubber bands as they're put on. Maybe it's at first the rubber bands just aren't that uncomfortable. Yeah, it bothers me a little bit. But is it really going to go about messing up my day? Well, not yet at first. But you can only handle so many rubber bands before your day is ruined. We cannot wait. We cannot wait until we explode. Eventually, all the pressure of those rubber bands makes us irritable. We're hard to be around at that point because we're angry at everybody and we don't even remember why we're angry at everyone. We push people away. We stop talking to the people in the church because they may have offended me. They might not know they offended me, but I know they offended me and I wear that rubber band and it's rubbing me raw. So I'm not going to talk to them today. I'm not going to go to their house. 
I'm not going to go help them. I'm not going to shake their hand. I'll give them a polite, hey, it's great to see you, and walk out the door. What is happening to our church body when that happens? This body that is jointly fitted together begins to break apart and gets disjointed, and the joint comes apart. And then the church can't walk together properly anymore. These problems in life that we have with each other are much easier to handle if we'll face them one at a time as they come, as they occur on a daily basis. Whew, man, does that sound like a burden. You know what? Yes, it is. It's not easy. It is not easy to constantly deal with hard situations and uncomfortable situations. But it's the right thing to do for your relationship, for your marriage, for your relationship between you and your children, between you and this church. So we have to start addressing them as they come up. We have to be timely in going about doing point number one, which is speaking the truth. I'm going to give an example. Cammie's okay with this because I've given it before. But when we were first married, uh, we had this, I don't remember what you call it, some townhouse type thing. And uh, we got mad about something. Don't even remember what it was, but she got mad. She threw my pillow at me. She's like, you're sleeping downstairs. I'm like, fine. I grab my pillow and I huff down the steps and I get on that couch and I'm laying there. For five minutes, I'll lay there just stewing. And then all something, something clipped in my mind and her mind at the same time. We had gone to a, a marriage seminar when we first got married. And one of the first verses that they told us was, Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. So about five minutes into our being selfish and stewing, I was like, okay, I'm not letting this go. We can't do this. Well, at the same time, she's thinking the same thing. I get my pillow and I start walking up the steps. Lo and behold, she's met me halfway at the steps. We went back upstairs and we stayed up all night talking over that issue. But we did not let the sun go down on our wrath. We continued to talk that issue until it was resolved. And I'm going to tell you, and this isn't going to be true for everybody, but that one situation very, very, very early in our marriage set the stage and the pace for how me and my wife deal with conflict with each other in our home. We do not fight. We do not argue. Do we disagree? Yes, we do. But we address those disagreements as quickly as we possibly can. Are there some times where I say, I need five minutes to process? Absolutely. But we deal with it then. Because if we don't, in your marriage, if you do not deal with those situations that do come up in every marriage, every disagreement that comes up in every marriage, and you just let it go, you start to build up this tally against your spouse. I remember when you did this, you did this, you did this, and you did this, and I can't wait to bring it all back and throw it in your lap and say, remember all of this. But when you address them as they come, you don't care about that tally. You don't want that tally. You want peace in your home. You want a relationship with your spouse. It's the same here in this church. It's the same here in this church. When we disagree with one another, when we have a conflict, 
It is important to go and address it then. Sometimes you may need to pray about it first. In fact, you should pray about it first. Sometimes you may need to take someone else with you. But you need to address speaking the truth. Whether you're warning someone who is in sin or if you're approaching someone who has wronged you, the method is still the same. Speak truth to them and speak it timely. Now when you go to speak truth and you go to speak it quickly, that's where we go to Ephesians 4.29 and our third point. Be thoughtful in how you communicate. Verse 29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Now, if we would just all read that verse right before we go to have that conversation, that would probably help us more than anything else. Read that verse. Because you know... The words that we say, though they may be truthful, and the way that we say it can sometimes be hurtful. Words are powerful. Brother Luke read James chapter 3 this morning. You know, there is great power in your tongue. Verse 5 of James chapter 3 says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great. Things. Here's a fun fact for you. The average tongue is around three inches long. I'm about 5'10 with my shoes on. So that would indicate that my tongue is roughly 4% of my height. That is sobering to me that 4% of my life drastically affects everything else in my life. That 4% affects everything else in my day. That small tongue. The picture in this chapter of James is depicting a a bit in the mouth of a horse. A horse is a large animal. And you just simply put the bit in its mouth and you turn it and the whole animal goes. What about the rudder of a ship? They're massive. The rudders are not nearly the size of the ship. And yet that rudder turns the entire ship's course so does your tongue turn the entire course of your conversation and your communication with others. There is a right path to go on in communication, and it is the path of reconciliation. But if we let our tongue take control without our heart being in it and being thoughtful about what we are saying, then that whole course of communication steers Steers off of reconciliation and it may go towards anger. It may steer towards bitterness. It may steer towards resentment. But it doesn't stay on the path of reconciliation. Which is the purpose of this communication. To be reconciled to one another. All too often I have found in my life that my tongue has been the one thing that completely changes the course of an entire day. One sharp word at my wife in the morning. And I come home and my wife has had to deal with that sharp word all day. One angry tone at my children. Not in a loving, 
disciplined way, but an angry way. And I have crushed their spirit. One goading word against my teenagers when I should be trying to nurture them and guide them. And I start to then what? Provoke them to wrath. The tongue is powerful. The tongue is powerful and it can steer an entire relationship. The tongue could be the one thing that wrecks or saves a relationship. What we can steer our relationship with someone with that tongue, it can be to the dangers of the rocks ahead, or it could be the one thing that guides us to a stormy relationship in calm waters. Where are you steering your conversations when you are with others? Are you taking those around you towards the jagged rocks of destruction? Are you taking them towards anger? Are you taking them towards resentment? Are you taking them towards bitterness? Or are you taking them to safety? And are you taking them back to peace in Christ and reconciliation with their Christian brother or sister? Don't be so quick to respond. Or take pride in a quick wit and a sharp tongue. That's not something to be proud of. Verse 9 says that we bless... uh, James chapter 3 says that we bless God and then curse others with that same tongue. Be the one who is blessing with your words. Be the one who is blessing with your words. And we do this by being thoughtful about our words. You must speak truth. And you must speak it timely. And we must be thoughtful in how we say it. We have been saved by grace. We are kept by grace. And so therefore we should live and speak with much grace. Is what you're saying building others up? Are you edifying? Which is what the verse says. Let's read that verse again. Are you edifying? Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Are you edifying in what you are saying? Or are you just getting even? with your timely truth speaking. Because you can be very truth and very timely. Oh, you want the truth? And you want it now? Okay, buddy. Because here it comes. I'm about to lay it on you. All the truth you've ever needed comes right now. Oh, now we're not being so thoughtful with our, truth, with our words. But we've all done that one before. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear because you need to hear it. You need to hear it now. You know what that is doing? That is you attacking the person instead of addressing the problem. You're out to get them. You're not out to restore them. When you approach someone that way, you don't care about restoration. You care about getting your point across. That is you attacking the person, not the situation. There's a big difference there. 
Because what is the goal of this communication? Our lesson today is biblical communication, not the last man standing communication. It's biblical restoration in communication, not the last man standing. That is not our goal. Our goal is to restore fellowship and friendship. So don't begin by throwing accusation after accusation, being drastic in everything that we say. I know that some people are a bit more flamboyant in their speech. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being drastic in what you're saying. The other may have been at fault. But don't gleefully throw a spotlight on their sin. What, we are told, what are we told to do in the Sermon on the Mount? In the Sermon on the Mount of Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, He says, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Well, how does this relate to addressing a wrong? Be thoughtful in what you're going to say and when you're going to say it and how you're going to say it and thoughtful as to whether you yourself may have wronged them in some way or wronged others. Restoration. 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 That is our goal. So being thoughtful first means before you go to speak to them and think about what you're going to say, you need to look inward first and say, Lord, where do I have a a glaring sin that needs to change? Lord, is there something that I have done wrong that would tarnish my witness to this person I'm about to communicate with? Lord, is there something they're going to see in me that is a glaring, obvious wrong, then why would they want to listen to me? So our thoughtfulness starts in our thoughts, being repentant in our heart, being remorseful over sin. And then, and only then, do you go speak truth quickly and thoughtfully, considering your words that you're going to say. Be thoughtful about what you will say. And then comes our fourth one. Because you can do all of the others. We have to be very honest about it. If we're speaking truth in a timely manner, with much thoughtfulness, but we come in a spirit of bitterness or wrath or anger, we will never reach that goal of restoration. So point number four is come and be tender in your communication. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 through 32 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ's sake forgave you. This is the heart thing. This is a heart thing right here. This isn't a being able to formulate the correct words and just be smart enough to know when the right timing is and knowing the facts to tell the truth. This gets to your heart. Do you really care 
to restore that relationship? Do you really want to save them from that danger? Do you really want? Does your heart go out for them in that communication? You can do the other three to a degree, but without this tenderness in your heart, you're just going to be going through the motions and you yourself will never feel restored to that person. This tenderness means to have compassion on or to have pity for the other, for your heart to go out to them. This isn't a check-the-box communication and a check-the-box friendship in the church. This is a body together that is to love one another, to care for one another, to bear one another's burdens. And you cannot and you won't bear the other's burdens if your heart is not tender towards them, if you do not have pity towards them. Remember, if they're in a sin or if they have wronged you, but were for the grace of God, there you would be also. Remember that you too are a sinner saved by grace. So with that same grace that He has covered your multitude of sins, you go to them with a tender and open heart. We know that in our natural sinful state, our our reaction is likely going to be much different. We, We react to the conversation or conflict with insults, fiery words, quickly both parties have put up a shield and it's impenetrable and no progress has been made. And this is hard. We want to react in the same manner. We want to put the fist up when they come flying at us with an accusation. But look at the end of this chapter in these words. This is how you are to approach in communication with your heart towards them. Even as God in Christ forgave you. Mm. You got nothing to stand on. We've got no high morals we can stand on. We stand solely on the grace of Jesus Christ. We stand solely on His mercy for your sins, saving you a lost sinner. And in that you approach your brothers and sisters. Whew. We've been forgiven so much by God. We of all people should be ready and willing to forgive the offenses of others by us. We are the household of faith. We've been purchased by His blood and forgiven all our sins. Brothers and sisters, we cannot devour one another. We cannot let bitterness creep in and devour us. A 17 and 1800s preacher named Adam Clark says it this way. How can spiritual brethren fall out by the way? Have they not all one father? All one head? Do they not form one body? And are they not all members of each other? Would it not be monstrous to see the nails pulling out the eyes and the hands tearing off the flesh from the body? the teeth biting out the tongue. And it is less so to see the members of a Christian society bite and devour each other till they are consumed of one another. 
We cannot consume one another. We must speak truthfully to one another. We must speak it in a timely fashion and be thoughtful in how we do it, but we must be tender with one another when we're speaking. This is something that we must practice because I will tell you it does not come easy. It's hard to do this. We must be intentional in training ourselves and in disciplining ourselves to refrain from reacting to others. Instead, we must be intentional in how we respond and how we see them and how we feel towards them. In closing, James chapter 3 again, verse 18 says, For the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Brothers and sisters, we need to be about making peace. Restoring relationships, mending broken lives and homes. Pray for your communication. Pray before you approach someone. Pray that your point won't be proven, but rather pray that in a restored relationship with Jesus Christ, you and your brother or sister can be reconciled in Him and that He is magnified. Pray that. Let's pray. Lord.